Well, aloha again. Here we are Wednesday at Hawaii, the state of clean energy. We have a real treat uh, for you today. We're going to be talking about uh, wave power for Hawaii, a little update, and uh, talk about the new buoy, new boy in town. A little play on words there. So I have uh, from uh, HNEI my colleague, uh, Pat Cross, who's the uh, project manager for our wave energy test site over in Kaneohe Bay. And of course, we have uh, Jay Futel, owner, operator, CEO, chairman of the board of ThinkTech Hawaii. I think you're the chairman of the board. <laughs> Tech Hawaii. So thanks for uh, coming on, Jay, and helping. Thanks me for out. having us on the show, Mitch. You're welcome, Jay. So we have a special treat as we go for show of the week, which is a beautiful video that was uh, produced uh, by uh, Royer Studios, a Hollywood uh, movie producer that HNEI uses for our really first-class movies. So if you don't mind rolling it, uh, I think you'll all enjoy this. Uh, it's uh, got some fabulous waves in it. So go for it. <laughs> The future for wave energy is potentially limitless. And while it's understandable to think that the generation of electricity from wave energy is something that works best in rough seas, such as the North Atlantic or the coast of the Northwestern United States, there's also strong potential for the use of wave energy generators in much less energetic environments throughout the world. Here we see the Azora, a wave energy prototype being prepared for deployment to the US Navy's wave energy test site, located in Hawaii near Kaneohe Bay, Oahu, for testing through spring 2016. being developed by four independent companies whose projects have been approved and are supported by the U.S. Department of Energy and the U.S. Navy. The Hawaii Natural Energy Institute is responsible to the sponsors for data collection, analysis and reporting as a means of independently evaluating the technology's performance. HNEI is also carrying out environmental monitoring to assess potential impacts these devices may have on the environments where they're deployed. Four of the planned five devices are what are called point absorbers, which are essentially an ocean buoy designed to move around in the waves, and the different companies have different approaches to converting that movement into electrical generation. The Azura device is a pair of vertical spars with a large heavy heave plate at the bottom underwater, and then a, a float that extends between the two vertical spars and moves with the waves and converts that movement to electricity. Here at the U.S. Navy's Wave Energy Test Site, known as WETS, the research will be used in ongoing efforts to advance the marine renewable energy industry. 
At present, it's still very difficult to capture wave energy and convert it into electricity in a way that is commercially competitive with other renewables or with fossil fuels. However, population and energy demand around coastlines are both very high worldwide, and the wave resource is enormous, making wave energy technology an attractive long-term proposition. Ultimately, the idea for a commercial future for wave energy would be arrays of devices, not single devices like will be tested here at a scale of, say, 500 kilowatts or a megawatt, but lots of them. Um, that's the way we're going to get toward commercialization of wave energy is deploying it in scale. WETS is the only grid-connected wave energy test site in the United States and one of only a few in the entire world. The world's eyes are really on this test site and the results that we will produce here over the next few years. So it's, it's really, it's fun to be part of. Okay, well, we're back. I hope you all enjoyed that uh, great video, which is going to propel us to show of the week, I hope. So make sure you put in your thumbs up when you see this. So, uh, Pat, so um, we had you here about 36 weeks ago, as I recall. That long? Yeah, that long, believe it or not. But a lot has happened at the Wave Energy test site. Some of uh, those buoys we saw are no longer there. And you've got the big buoy, pardon the pun. Coming in, so why don't you just uh, you have some slides, and so you can call them up when you need them, and just tell us what are the changes, what's going on now. Okay, well I'll give you sort of a, an overview of what we've been doing since 36 weeks ago, uh, right. which is basically we've we've had that the wave buoy you saw in the video deployed twice, did some modifications to it after the way it looked in that video, right. redeployed it with an attempt to get more power out of it. It didn't really work for a, a complex set of reasons. The, the motions improved, but we didn't see the power performance, and that's a, a power takeoff issue. But more exciting than that, I think, is the project we did where we redeployed the Lifesaver wave energy device, which is a ring-shaped, donut-shaped device. And, and That's why they call it the Lifesaver, right? Because it looks like a, like a Lifesaver. There you go. Yeah. When we deployed it the first time, nothing was done with the power. It was just, um, it was just burned off in a load bank. Okay. Uh, but for the second deployment, we used that power to power an instrumentation suite and an undersea charging capability that you can use for, um, for charging autonomous vehicles underwater, right. which right. was a very cool demonstration, a first in the world, as far as we know, right. of using wave power directly for something like that. So that means you're like a little torpedo-like underwater vehicle can slide in, hook up some way, interface with the power supply and recharge its battery and then go off and do another mission. That's the idea. It swims in and it docks and it downloads whatever data it's been collecting, yeah. gets charged up, goes back. That's real James Bond stuff. <laughs> that's really great. Pretty cool. Yeah. We didn't actually do the demo with the AUV, but that's kind of the next step. We just demonstrated the capability to do that. 
Um, the other big thing we've been working on here for the last two years is kind of a complete redesign of the, of the moorings, the deep berth moorings uh, at Webb. There's three berths, the two deep ones had a lot of issues. So where... For the general public, what, what does mooring mean? So the mooring is the system of three legs of chain up to surface floats, to which the wave energy converter developers, um, oh, I see a slide has been brought up. Yeah, uh, that's this is an example of a mooring system, uh, and this is the lifesaver ring-shaped device I mentioned. Um, so I'll, I'll talk to this slide since it's up. Uh, basically, the you've got those hawser lines, the ones that kind of go out to the sides to those little subsurface floats down to an anchor at the seabed. That keeps the thing in place in the case of a storm or in the failure of the main mooring system, which are the vertical lines down to rock bolts into the seabed, those are what actually hold the device in place, but also um, drive the power takeoff mechanisms on the deck of the device and, and generate power, right. winching in and out. But we also have mooring systems at the deep berths. This is the, what's shown here is the shallow berth. So, I'm not sure the sequence of the slides here, but um, if you can advance it by one. Okay, well, I'm, I'm changing the course a little bit just based on the way the slides are here. <laughs> um, so this was, the, 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 I'll just focus on the tagline there at the bottom in yellow. This was the power production during that second deployment of the Lifesaver that I mentioned. And, and the takeaway is that we were able to power that instrumentation suite 84% of the time so that it could do its job. If you tried to do that on batteries alone, you'd get less than 1%. Less than 1%? Yeah. It, oh, wow. Yeah. So we're getting to where we can almost power a system like that. It doesn't have a huge power draw. Right. That's kind of the way wave energy has gone, is everybody's focused on making lots of power to feed onto power grids. Mm -hmm. But there's more of a realization that, hey, if you can just make power out at sea yeah. where others can't, even if it's only a few kilowatts or even a few hundred watts, it could be very useful to a, a wide range of systems. Right. System. So. Let me ch chime in a little bit with some thoughts about Number one, with all the waves we have here in Hawaii, we have plenty of waves. I don't, I don't have to give you supporting information about that. We know we have plenty of waves. We, and we had we the have. movie that showed them, too. So. Yes. Right. We don't have a single wave action, working wave action, um, you know, device actually generating power right now, all right? At the moment, no, because those first two devices have been recovered. Those demonstrations are complete, but we have more coming. Okay. But they're Se all R&D. Se second is uh, the thing about uh, the mooring. The mooring. I mean, we, if we had a tsunami um, or some heavy wave action at some point, for whatever reason, um, that, is that mooring going to be able to hold the thing in place? Because you, know, you can imagine the forces are huge in a, are. a tsunami or a big wave, and the thing gets in the wrong place and the wave carries the device away from the mooring, you know, no chain's going to be strong enough to keep it in place, am I right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, in the case of a tsunami, um, the, the, the wavelength is so long that all you'd see at the depth of wet is a gentle rise and fall. Where that becomes a problem is on the beach, where it, sh it shoals up and breaks. 
Um, but what we do worry about are what we call 100-year storms. So we're designing for that worst case, we hope, uh, storm. And so these moorings are designed to withstand the forces that those that they will encounter during a 100-year storm. So they are very beefy. Is it their elastic or just strong or combination of that? Strong. We're talking heavy-duty steel, and I have some pictures. We have pictures of the mooring. So the next question that comes to mind is something that you said, that the chain has something to do with the generation of the power. I think what, I think we, we should explain to people how this device actually generates the power. Assume a wave that goes up and down, and assume a chain that holds the device at a certain fixed distance from the bottom. How does that actually wind up generating power? Well, the one that, I sh that we showed the picture of, so the answer to your question, how do these things work, how do they make power, is different for every one of them so far. That's where wave energy is, very early stage R&D, lots of very different ideas about how best to generate power. In some cases, it is the mooring itself that is a critical piece of that. So with the Lifesaver, yeah, a taut connection to the seabed, the thing rocks around on the seabed and it, it drives a winch back and forth and that, that motion is, is, a, is a direct drive power takeoff. And it, turn, it turns an axle in there somewhere, which keeps going in the same direction. So the cantilever uh, turns, turns a winch that keeps going, say, clockwise or counterclockwise, and that will generate like a, a generator inside the device. In that case, there are three power. generators. Two generators. Uh, but, okay. The, but then yeah. that, that, and that is generating some power. Now, is there electronics before you offload that power onto a cable onto the shore, or does it go directly onto the shore as, I guess it would be direct current? Well, we, the Azura device, which was the one from the video, did send DC to shore where it was inverted onshore and conditioned for the grid. Others, for the most part, are going to do that power conditioning offshore on their device before mm -hmm. sending it to shore. So they want to send grid quality power. So you have frequency. You're generating power at a certain frequency, like sixty. What is it? Sixty, 60 cycles. Hertz, Sixty cycles 60 per second. Yeah. 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 So right. um, you know, now one thing. I'll get off this in a minute. But okay. We'll, yeah. I hope you do because we have a break almost now. Okay. Uh, now we have a break <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. We can do the well, break now. Well, yeah. Let me make my next question okay. a cliffhanger. I'll just tell you what it is. Okay. Okay. And we'll <clears> think about it. You know, um, we have heard that there's a number of different kinds of these devices that are possible. Right. We've seen pictures of just one of them, and they have different technologies. And my question is going to be, hmm, which one do you like? Hmm. Now let's take a break. Okay. He's left us with this cliffhanger question, so we're going to take a break right now. We're going to think about it behind the scenes. We have a whole minute to figure this out, and we'll be back in one minute. Hello, I'm Mufi Hanneman. I want to tell you about a great show that appears on Think Tech Hawaii. It's all about tourism. In fact, we call it Tourism 101, where we talk about the issues and challenges that faces our number one industry throughout the state. We'll have some interesting guests, some very informative dialogue, and allow you an opportunity to maybe learn a little bit more about why this industry is so important for our state. It's been great for us in the past. We need it today, and especially going forward. 
That's Tourism 101 on ThinkTech Hawaii. Mahalo. Aloha, my name is Victoria and I'm a host at the Adventures in Small Business. This is a collaboration between U.S. Small Business Administration, Hawaii District Office, and its partners, where we showcase the stories of local entrepreneurs and small businesses, talk about how to start a business, talk about great tips for small business owners. Uh, please join us every Thursday, 11 a.m. at ThinkTech Hawaii. Um, see you soon. Mahalo. Well, welcome back to Hawaii, the state of clean energy. And Jay left us with this cliffhanger question. He cogitated about it for a whole minute, and Pat has informed me that he has an answer. Well, let me rephrase oh. it or re <laughs> restate ahead. it restate so it. clear yeah. what we're asking. And there's lots of different kinds of technologies. These technologies have been, I want to say, in play, but they have been in research, in, in process, in design for about 10 or 15 yeah. years at least. I'm sure you can give us some historical notion of where it all began, probably in the year 1215, yeah? Uh, but, but most recently, there have been at least half a dozen of them that I can think of, um, which, um, which would generate electricity out at sea. And for various reasons, uh, they all have their pros and cons. Um, so now you've done research on this type, uh, with, I don't know how you distinguish it, the cantilever kind, uh, with the inside generator and all that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, why do you like that one? Is that your favorite one? Or are there other models you're working with that may, that may actually be better? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cop out to some extent um, by saying that I personally don't have a favorite design yet. Um, however, so what we've tested, those two devices, they've each gone through two iterations. They're both called point absorbers, which means they're just a buoy in the water and they move around and, and then different people have different ideas about how to take that motion to turn it into electrical generation. Um, the next one coming is one of the more promising concepts. And this is the big, the big boy the that big we've boy. been talking yeah. about. It's called an oscillating water column. So it's, it's basically a huge chamber of air. It's a man-made blowhole. The Helona blowhole only it floats and it, uh, so it yeah. forces, the waves force air through a turbine uh, just a regular air turbine. It's a 500 kilowatt turbine. Um, so this thing at least has the potential to generate some significant power. So OWCs, as we call them, oscillating water columns, are one of the more encouraging uh, concepts. But there's another concept called a, uh, an oscillating surge wave converter, a big flat that's typically deployed in the nearshore waters where the waves tend to come at them more. And that's a different type of generation. It can pressurize water or drive hydraulics. So there's well, a lot of good show, ideas out there. The show we do with Pat, we could call it the big flap. About, <laughs> yeah, right. about the big flap. Yeah, what yeah. do you think? Yeah, we you can go. talk about flaps. Yeah, right. Get your flaps down. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So maybe that, that was, I think it was slide six. Yeah, so this gets to, to kind of wrapping up the mooring discussion. This gives you a little taste of what some of this mooring hardware in the redesign looks like. So if you start on the bottom left of that picture, you, you have the big anchors. Those are 10-ton uh, Dragon Bedman anchors out on a sandy bottom connected to two and three-quarter inch chain, which is what the whole system was before, but it 
it became apparent that that's not, that's not big enough. So we now have those things called H-links uh, that connect that existing chain to four-inch chain, which is shown on the right. This stuff's massive. I mean, it's hundreds of pounds per link. Um, and you see what some of the hardware across the top to make it all connect together, it looks like. It can't necessarily get good scale on that, but trust me, no, no guys are picking those things up. Well, you have the ladder <laughs> beside there, and you can see where the size of the link is like a, you know, by a foot almost. Well, yeah, in the top left is, yeah. is the, uh, the surface float, the new surface right. float with the hardware hanging beneath it. So, and that float is 4.2 meters in diameter. That's, what, uh, that's about 14 feet yeah. in diameter. It's a, it's a huge float. Yeah. It gives you a taste of what those shackles and links look like. So, yeah. so, so that chain was not cheap either, <sighs> no. was it? No. So what's kind of a rough order of magnitude cost, are you willing to say? Or? Uh, well, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to, uh, just to procure. Yeah, the, the the chain for three legs for one morning. Right. Well, is it, it was worth, not cheap. Is it worth it? You know, and what I mean is uh, this is an expensive proposition to test out these bigger and bigger devices, and you have in you know inherent what do I call it challenges. Number one comes to mind is it's steel, um, and steel rusts. In fact, everything corrodes at sea, and and you know in the in the combination of elements in the sea. Uh, maybe and those are changing maybe with climate change. Huh? Um, so as you know, as as the years go by, these things are going to corrode, uh, and so they have a useful life of X, whatever that is. You know, I mean, maybe that's part of your research. The other thing is, it's it does affect uh, in Hawaii. Nay, it's going to affect the navigation. You have to put them out there in the ocean, deploy them in a certain place, and uh, there will be the inevitable fisherman who comes by, or who knows sure. what kind of boats are out there, and they might run into these chains or into these devices and have a really bad day at sea. And, right. and the question is, um, you know, that's a challenge. Call it a political challenge, call it a traffic challenge. Um, you know, is it worth it? Are we going in the right direction with this kind of energy generation system? Well, I think so. Uh, I, you know, partly because I, you know, it's what I do for a living. But uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry for that question. No, no but uh, I, you know, th these are very real questions. If there is a commercial future for wave energy, then you're deploying these types of large machines in significant numbers, and you have cables to shore, and you have mooring systems, and yeah, they, you're you're a user of the ocean, and you need to get along well with the other users of the ocean. Tourism, in our case, is is, is important. Fishing cultural sensitivities, it's all there and we can't ignore any of it. But the resource is just so vast that it's almost, it, it wouldn't be responsible it could run not all of to Hawaii, pursue it. Couldn't it. It could run all of Hawaii and it wouldn't uh, have any effect on the ocean. It would just generate this enormous amount of completely green energy. It would. Uh, that would it, be it, fabulous. It would. But there, you know, there would be impacts and, and it's, as a society a you have to decide whether you are, are willing to take, take those trade-offs. Yeah, compared to some other generation, it's it's relatively clean, green, you know, uh, but also attracts fish too. I mean, it becomes a fish oh, habitat. Yeah. Big time fish aggregation uh, yeah. devices. These things are so. As far as the moorings and their strength and their life, they, it's it's not so much the corrosion. There is a corrosion factor we allow for a certain amount per year, um, but that'll last. 
decades. Um, what you worry about is the fatigue on the different elements and the ultimate strength, as we talked about before. And so we've designed a system that has a minimum 10-year uh, design life. We hope for considerably more than that, and we inspect on a regular basis. And also they wear right, the links when they're bobbing up and down. They, they wear, the studs can get knocked yeah. out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So we have the whole system now in tension, even when there's no wave energy converter, sure. to address, to partly address that, because we didn't, didn't before. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded of the whole affair with uh, telecommunications cables. Uh, they come from far away. They're at the bottom of the ocean. They, they have to get ashore in order to deliver yeah. signal. Uh, we don't talk about exactly where they are because then there would be those people who would like to do malicious mischief on them. And so they have their, you know, you wouldn't find it so easily on a chart exactly where the cable is coming ashore. Um, furthermore, you know, even if we did know where they're coming ashore, it would be, it would be, it would be, it would sucking up some beach uh, or some, you know, some, some shoreline. Uh, and I so think they, I think they bore in under the beach, though. They, they yeah, they of, must. They, 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 they uh, must. They, they, they can't be visible. No, you can't no they, they go visible. in well under the shoreline and come up. So you have the same issue, don't you? I mean, out yeah. of these devices, inevitably, whether it's processed uh, into 60 cycles out there or not, uh, or whether it's direct or alternating current, you have to have a cable mm -hmm. uh, we do. that doesn't corrode very much and that drops down to the bottom, comes whatever distance it is, and I guess it can be a, a fair distance, uh, and then somewhere along the line it has to come ashore. Maybe yeah. like a, a telecommunications cable. Yeah, right. Yep. And it has to come ashore in a way so that it doesn't suck up you know, the geography in the beach, and it also doesn't act as a malicious, not a malicious, but a, 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 an attractive nuisance, right, right. Uh, to people who you know, may want to do malicious mischief. Uh, so ha have you addressed that, or is this something in the future? Well, we have an advantage at, at the test site in that it's the, that shore entry point is, is on the Marine Corps base, uh, so it's, and, and it's a pretty remote part of the Marine Corps base, so it does, most people don't know it's there. Uh, we worry more about the wave action and the sand tearing the cable apart, not people. But mm -hmm. if you had it in somewhere near Waikiki or Alawana, yeah, people would mess with it, you know. And, it probably wouldn't likely, allow wave energy boys off of Waikiki anyway. Perhaps not. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing comes to mind from what you say is we live in a world of climate change. We live in a world of sea level rise. We live in a world of, what do I call it, shifting sands. I don't mean political shifting sands. I mean real shifting yeah, sands. Okay, yeah. okay. and so the, the, uh, the, the sea bottom, the sea floor, where you're dropping the, uh, you know, the, the, the anchor, so to speak, uh, as well as the seafloor under, under the cable or with the cable, you know, where the cable comes up onto the, the land, um, they're going to shift maybe more than before because of climate change. And the, the shore itself, the, you know, the, the beach, uh, that's going to shift, and, and um, you know, you're going to have changes. Uh, and maybe good, maybe bad. So the question is how, if, if you want to have these things last for 10 years in a cycle or 20 or 30, how can you cope with what we know is going to happen with the sea, the ocean floor, and the beach in terms of climate change and sea level rise? I think you know. I think we're probably assuming that those sorts of changes are are slow enough that we can adapt to them kind of on the fly. That's not a very good answer, but it's hard to predict that far out ahead what the beach will look like and what the wave action will be, will look like. Although. We are doing modeling along those lines mm -hmm. at the university. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sure. But you're right. You always have to look ahead. Well, did you want to finish about, with the well, big boy? Oh, 
Yes, yeah. We, yeah. we don't have to see We sh- need to get it right now. Show slide get, eight and nine than, uh, uh, real quick. So this that's, is the big boy that, that Mitch talked about that's coming next. This thing's huge. It weighs 1,000 tons. Um, may, that's it under construction in a shipyard in Portland. Look um, at the size of the cars. You can see the see cars, how big yeah. It is. Show how, the next how picture. Tall how tall is it? It must be it's, 100 uh, feet or something? It's 37 meters in length, um, and it's feet. about, I forget, 20-some meters in overall height. Yeah. Um, so it's huge. And it has the potential to make, uh, as I said, 500 kilowatts with its turbine that's up in that top part. So, Well, on that happy note, <laughs> with the big boy yeah. going for show of the week, but we have to wrap up. And How far offshore does the big boy go to be effective? Well, in this case, it'll be deployed where we have a berth for it, which is at our 60-meter test berth, which is about a kilometer and a half offshore. Ah, that sounds okay. right, yeah, yeah. yeah. That wouldn't be a big problem. Sorry, I just had to ask that. Well, I've got to wrap it up, otherwise the CEO of Think Tech Hawaii is going to be all over my case oh, and he'll invite me back. So, that. so that's it, everybody. Uh, thank you very much, Pat, for coming out at short notice again. And uh, that's uh, your. Uh, this is Hawaii, the clean, uh, the state of clean energy, and we're winding up. And we'll be back next Wednesday. Before you know it, in a flash of an eye. So, aloha, everyone.